Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits, everybody. My name is Jeff. Grateful that you have tuned in. Always grateful that you've tuned in. I usually always open the podcast by saying, I'm grateful that you tuned in. Um, You could be doing a lot of things with your time. You don't have to listen to this, but the fact that you tune in means occasionally the Lord must be doing something beneficial for you through the podcast, and that's a thrill to me. Um, I love talking about Jesus. I love talking from the Word of God. I love processing some of the um, things in the kingdom that maybe the church hasn't done an awesome job of um, examining, uh, considering deeply, reforming, um, changing our ways. We tend, as Christians over the centuries, we just find whatever works and we listen to whoever's in authority and is telling us this is what the Bible says and we just kind of soak it in. And a lot of people have never bothered to check for themselves. Hey, has what I've been taught actually um, been examined through the lens of Scripture? And when you start doing that, man, your whole uh, stewardship of your own edification, as we say in Caneo, Caneo's uh, ministry training center, the, the mantra, the slogan is, you are the steward of your own edification. Nobody's going to give an account to Jesus for where you are with the Lord. You're going to give an account for Jesus. You're the steward. You are the one who is responsible for his or her own understanding in the kingdom. And uh, thank God we're so privileged to live in a generation with, obviously, a Bible in our language, but also almost limitless resources to study the Word. And so you should examine what you believe. Uh, I do it all the time. Um, I, I have no problem admitting to you that I am always seeking for my faith to be refined the, you know, the foundational components of what I believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, theology, God's kingdom, the, the major foundation stones are settled. Those won't be changed, but the way we live this thing out and the nuances of what we believe, if you still believe exactly like you believed when you got saved, if you got saved more than five years ago, um, you're probably in need of going a little bit deeper and being a little bit more proactive with your faith. And I thank God for the people who have taught me over the years. I'm still taught. I'm, st- I'm still seeking instruction. But um, I don't just believe it because they say it. You know, those Berean Christians in the book of Acts, they studied the scriptures to find out if what they were being taught was true. And so there's that phrase in modern Christianity, hey, be a Berean, be one who studies for herself or himself, you know, what the word of God says so we can make sure that the thing we're living out that we assume is biblical faith is actually biblical faith. You know, we've been watching with you, um, I don't know, for a couple of months now, the the terrible things going on between Hamas, Israel. Um, it changes daily. You know, by the time this podcast go live, goes live, it could be changed from the day on which I'm recording it. We're usually about two weeks ahead in the recording of the podcast. And so by the time this thing hits the airwaves in a couple of weeks, um, <laughs> what I'm saying right now might be outdated because of the intensity of the conflict and the um, just global Uh, anti-Israel, anti-Jew sentimentism that is, um, you know, rising. And when I have, um, when I've seen seasons like this ebb and flow, I've always felt like, well, it's flowing, but it's going to ebb back. Can I be honest with you? I don't think so this time. I don't think it goes back to um, a normal semblance, not at least before it gets a little bit worse. 
And so anytime I see this kind of um, intensity happening, revolving around the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, Jerusalem, um, my, my instincts are to like leap back into eschatology, leap back into what does the Bible teach about the end of the age, end time events. So much of it centers around Israel. Um, you've got, you know, Old Testament prophecy, but you've also got the book of Revelation. You've got Paul's writings to the church at Thessalonica about the end of the age. You've got Paul writing Timothy and saying at the end of the age, this is what it's going to be like. And then, of course, you've got Jesus's own teachings where he taught quite a bit about what the quote unquote signs of the times will be at the end of the age. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't think this is a stretch. We've been living with these indicators pretty much in our face our entire lives. But as Jesus taught, as we really move towards the end of the age, these birth pangs and all you women out there who have given birth, you know what that means. Once the contractions begin, they get more and more intense until the baby is birthed. And what Jesus said is, as you see these things beginning to happen at the end of age, it's, it's going to increase in frequency and intensity. And then what will happen is the end time events will be born on earth and hallelujah, right there in the midst of all of that, Christ returns to earth. I can't wait. Don't mind telling you that I'm ready for the son of God and his name to be vindicated on earth. But when I was, um, thinking about, you know, some of these things and reading in Matthew 24 here recently, um, there was something that jumped out that doesn't get a lot of press concerning the end of the age. And I just began kind of meditating in my heart and going over some verses that um, kind of support or highlight or supplement this statement from Jesus. And like in Matthew 24, his disciples asked him a question. What is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? What is your, the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Interestingly, they thought they were living at the end of the age and had no clue that Jesus was going to die, rise again, ascend, and there'd be this, you know, at this point, almost 2,000-year interval before between his first coming and his second coming. But they asked the question, what is going to be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus opens up and he answers them in Matthew 24, 4. He says, don't be led astray. In other words, get this right. Don't be deceived. You need to pay really close attention at the end of the age because only the discerning are going to be um, immune from the massive deception that is going to be facilitated by the spirit of the age at the end of the age. So he opens up. He's like, before I tell you what these signs are before <laughs> before my my coming, my, before the end of the age, he says, I want to I want to give you kind of like a disclaimer. Whatever you do, don't get deceived. And that just kind of hangs in the air, and it needs to be brought down from the air into your heart, because you're living at the end of the age. I'm one hundred percent convinced of it. I am not setting dates. I am not hour. I'm I'm no dummy. People that do that are just foolish. But what I am saying is because he said, look for these signs and because he commanded not to be deceived and because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, I can tell you we're there. I fully expect all of these events to take place during my lifetime. And, um, and that, by the way, that doesn't scare me and it shouldn't scare you if you're a believer, unless you're a believer whose whole context 
for security and purpose is rooted in this temporary world. Yeah, that would scare me. If my purposes and my identity was rooted in planet Earth and what's going on right now, like my life, the American dream, you know, money, friendships, even beautiful things like marriage and relationships that are healthy and holy, those things are great. But that is not where you draw your identity and your security from because everything that can be shaken will be shaken until only that which cannot be shaken remains. And so I can go through these and just hope that you guys are are grounded in the faith and that this shouldn't move you off your mark. But Jesus gives the sign. So he actually answers the question in Matthew 24. He said, first thing is a lot of people are going to come in my name and they're going to be declaring that they are the Christ and they'll lead many astray. Okay, so false messiahs, false prophets, we, we get that. And by the way, they will lead many astray because people did not take his, his previous statement, see that nobody leads you astray. And then one verse later, he says, and many will be led astray. And it's because they did not get grounded and love the truth that they were subject to deception. And then he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. So all this stuff that we're seeing right now, it's going to grow. Uh, international, global warfare and conflict. It's just going to grow. And Jesus says, you're going to keep hearing about that. And he says, don't be alarmed. This has to take place, but this is not the way it ends. Okay. And then he, he supplements that in verse seven of Matthew 24. He says, nation's going to rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom, famines, earthquakes. Guys, we know all of this. Like I, it would be boring right now for me to stop and give you all the data on this stuff. So just, you know, stay aware and stay alert. And if you really want to research it, just look up earthquakes, just look up famines, frequency, intensity over the last 200 years, just look it up, Google it. And you're going to find that, yes, these things are increasing in intensity and frequency. And Jesus calls this the beginning of the birth pains. And then he goes on, he's speaking of what's going to happen up to the tribulation and all the way into the tribulation. He says, they're going to deliver Christians up. They're going to put some to death. Christians will be hated by all nations because of the name of Jesus. That's prophecy. That's G- we, we cannot escape it. So many people are trying to figure out how to avoid the fulfillment of this prophecy where Jesus said, this is the way it's going to be at the end of the age. Christians will be hated globally. You will be hated by all nations for my namesake. There's no other way to interpret that. And he says, because of this, this is what I'm getting to. Here's a, here's a little, n- not known, that's not little known, but it's a little emphasized marker of the end of the age. People are like, yeah, wars, rumors of war, famines, earthquake, persecution. But what about Matthew 24, 10? where Jesus says, many will fall away. That's the Greek word scandalon. It it is often translated offended or stumble. And he says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. I'm going to pause there for a second because that's where I got started getting gripped. What if one of the major signs of the end of the age and the the deception that has already started to be released. The deception is growing. We've never seen such a deceived uh, populace. I mean, it is insane. The things that people are doing is literally, I'm, I'm telling you, it's spiritual insanity. 
I mean, the gender stuff, the overt demand for greater freedom to send sin in the most heinous ways, moral sins, depravity, sexuality, pedophilia. Then we've got the identity sins where, you know, local government schools are accommodating young people who identify as cats. I know that's the extreme, but it's happening. So if, if a teenager identifies as a cat, there are, there's been at least a couple of reports of schools putting litter boxes. I mean, just look it up guys. I'm not making this stuff up. Litter boxes for the kitty cat kids. And we, there, there's a large segment of America says, yes, that's, that's fine. If that's the way they feel they are, then that is what they are. And I'm just here to tell you, no, they aren't. They're not a cat. The boy's a boy. The boy is not a girl. Go ahead and be upset at that. If you're upset at that, I doubt anybody listening to my podcast is upset about about that. But like, if you're upset that I'm just going to give you pushback, I'm going to say if they were born male, they're a male. If they're born female, they're female. They can be all confused about it. That's fine. Like I'm, I'm not saying they're not confused. I'm just saying we're not going to restructure the entire foundation of anthropology, the study of mankind, in order to make some confused people feel good about being, um, you know, something that they actually aren't in creation. So we've got all the craziness, and then Jesus drops this. I learned this verse, Matthew twenty four ten, in the in the King James. And in the King James, it talks about. Um, uh, many will be offended. Many will be offended. Matthew 24, 10. We, we have here fall away, and that is incorporated in it. But in King James, I remember learning it. Many will be offended to the point where they betray one another and hate one another. And later on, Jesus would say this offense and this bitterness and this hatred will go so deep that it will literally result in family members betraying one another to the point where sons will turn in daughter, excuse me, parents and parents, fathers will turn in sons and mothers will betray their children and children will betray their parents. And what it's talking about is literally outing them at the end of the age as being a Jesus follower to the point where that outed Jesus follower is uh, martyred. That's how serious this gets. So what about this issue of offense? Like what about the issue of being so offended at the end of the age and Jesus in the midst of earthquakes and famines and wars, global military conflict, Jesus pulls in the microscope and he says, right there in individual hearts, right there in the hearts of individuals, one of the signs of the times is going to take place and people are going to come into agreement with offense and they're going to become bitter and it's going to be an epidemic of offense and bitterness at the end of the age that will turn into hatred. So when I read this, and I'm going to share some other verses with you, do you know what I do? I look straight into my heart and I say, God, is there the seed of unforgiveness, bitterness, or offense anywhere in me?
like I promise you when I'm reading these verses, I'm not thinking of you. I'm thinking of my heart. You know why? Because Jesus said it can be so strong at the end of the age that if you aren't diligently making sure you're not deceived at the end of the age, you probably will be. And this is one of the things he highlights that uh, we need to see that we're not led astray in. You know, Proverbs eighteen nineteen is a great verse about the offended person. The Proverbs eighteen nineteen says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. So the writer of that proverb is using architectural, ancient architecture to describe what an offended person is like. And he's picturing here a strong city with tall, thick, impenetrable walls. When you came up in ancient times against a city like that and you, you know, your enemy or your target was on the inside of that city, you've got a problem. You can't get to what's on the inside because of the thick, impenetrable walls all surrounding it. And the writer of the proverb says that's an offended person. You can't get to what's on the inside because they're so hard hearted. It's like a strong walled up city and the bars of a castle. Meaning ain't nobody getting in. And that's what the Proverbs say, a bitter offended heart, a brother offended is unyielding more so than that walled up city. I mean, humanly speaking, it's hopeless because some people are so offended and bitter that facts won't help them. Truth won't help them. uh, Compassion won't help them. Kindness won't help them. Bible won't help them. The reason why is they've made up their mind that they have a right to live behind the walls because behind the walls they've created is their security and safety. And it takes an, it takes a sovereign move of God that'll break that person. And then that person coming out of that walled city and saying, God, deliver me from the castle I built around my heart. Another proverb is Proverbs 12, 16. It says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. So you've got two different types of people, a fool here and a prudent. Prudent is just a, a word that means wisdom and action. So to be prudent means you are wise and you're acting in accordance with wisdom. We all know, you know, the fool, I mean, a fool is a bumbling idiot that denies that God is God. And there's a lot of different definitions in scripture or descriptions in scripture about what a fool is. And when a fool is vexed, this is Proverbs 12, 16, when a fool is vexed, when a fool is provoked, when a fool is offended, when a fool is angered, when a fool is insulted, everybody knows it at once. Why? Because he's going to process and give vent. He's going to let his offense be made known. She's going to tell everybody why she's got a right to stay bitter because she's been done wrong. And then that is contrasted with the prudent person, the wise person. And it says the wise person ignores when they've been insulted. That's hard to do, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe you've graduated in this. I am moving along in my training about what to do when I'm provoked and insult, uh, insulted, had a lot of practice to get it right. You know, when somebody insult, if you're in full-time ministry, you're going to get insulted. I mean, it just happens. I mean, people, they post stuff about you on Facebook. They'll say stuff about you. They Sometimes they say stuff to you, which is actually easier to deal with. It's the cowardly that, you know, we're 
you know, dropping bombs on social media about you. But this, what do you do when it happens? Well, the Bible is clear here. You don't get offended. You ignore it. That's what the Bible says. So we just got to figure out, am I, am I a Bible guy? Am I a Bible girl? Or am I going to give in and cooperate with the spirit of the age that insists that I take up an offense at the wrong wrongdoing that I've experienced? That is the spirit of the age. It's like mo- stepping into a fast moving current. Like if you jump in, it's going to move you downstream where it moves everybody else downstream. But if you refuse to jump in, you get to walk in the direction outside of that stream of offense and bitterness that is taking the world by storm. You get to walk on the banks of righteousness and life and hope and humility. But if you jump into the current, it's going to pull you where it pulls everybody else. So you have to be diligent to guard your heart. And sometimes you just got to ignore when somebody foolish says something about you. I mean, you can't even always talk it out. I like to try to talk stuff out, man. I try my best, but I've, I've and sometimes I've succeeded and you have too. Like there are, you know, you know, the principle I de- dealt with this a couple of weeks ago in a podcast, like, what do you do? Well, you go to the person, you try to work it out. If that doesn't help, you try to take somebody else with you to reason with the person. And then if they want reason, you got to walk away. That's Matthew 18. That's what Jesus taught. And so th- when this happens, you, you literally have to get to a place where you just ignore what's going on. You take it to the Lord. You process with the Lord. Why is all of this so important? Well, because what's at stake is, is your heart, your spirit, your soul. Like Jesus says, I bought everything that comprises who you are. I paid an amazingly high price, immeasurably high price to be your Lord your master, not just your savior, your Lord and your master. You agreed to enter into covenant with me. You are the one whom I protect. I provide for, I shepherd. I also train you. And my goal is to, to make you like me through the washing of the water of the word and the, the sanctifying power of the Holy spirit. And so our part is to cooperate with that. And when we nurse an offense, we are saying to Jesus, I'd like to press pause on my journey with you. I need to take care of some business. And the Lord's like, no, let's keep walking together. No, Lord, uh, you don't understand. Somebody has said something. Somebody has done something. It was really egregious. And the Lord's like, yes, I know. I know, my child, I'm going to shepherd you right through this thing. I'm going to help you. I'm going to deliver you from the power of offense. No, Lord, you don't understand. In order for me to do that, I'd have to forgive. And this thing really hurt. And I'm just not going to be able to do it. And the Lord weeps right there. Why? Because of verses like Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, where it's commanded of me as a believer. This is binding on my soul. This is not a negotiating table. This is an imperative. That's what it's called. It's a command. And this is what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Can I shorten it for the topic that we're, we're focusing on today? Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger be put away from you. Along with all malice. That means you don't have the opportunity to meditate on how to get even seeking somebody's harm. So the negative is 
you have to let, you have to allow, you have to cooperate from this bitterness and anger to be removed from you. Guess who does the removing? The one who himself was insulted. The one who himself was rejected. The one who himself was slandered. The one who himself was beaten. The one who himself was crucified. Jesus. Jesus says, let me take all of that from you. And as I do so, here's, here's the assignment. Ephesians 4.32, the next verse. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Not the castle heart. Not the barred up gates. Not the strong city with the high walls. Not that kind of heart. Tenderhearted. And then he tells you what that looks like. Forgiving one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the place where you get the victory. Hear me. I'm going to coach you for a second here. The, way, the means by which you gain victory over bitterness and offense is you stay conscious of just how much the holy God of heaven has forgiven you through Christ. A lot of people have a hard time getting over offense because they have no idea how offensive they have been to God. Kapow. Do you hear me on that? The degree to which you view your own personal sin history, I'm not talking about 50 years ago, I'm talking about yesterday, maybe this morning. When you recognize that God is holy, and that the sin that we don't even blush at anymore because it's so normal in the culture in which we live, you know, that the respectable sins that the church tolerates, they're an offense to a holy God. And God chooses not to be offended with me. He chooses not to be offended with you. He chooses not to be bitter toward you. As a matter of fact, not just withholding offense and bitterness, but instead lavishing upon you comprehensive, full forgiveness, welcome, acceptance, blessing, covenant, peace. He, God, instead of giving me what I deserved, he gave me everything that Christ has provided for me. And he says, I want part of your response to that, Jeff, to that grace you've received is that you refuse to allow bitterness to become a roommate in the heart where Jesus is living inside of you. you know, like the atmosphere of my inner self is dominated by Jesus. He purchased the rights. How would I let the smog of offense and bitterness get in there when the very one who paid for my forgiveness is the one I say I've enthroned in my heart. So he literally says, put your bitterness, put your offense, put your anger away from you by trusting Christ to remove it. You come out of agreement with it. You resign your entitlement to be angry and offended. It doesn't make what happened to you right. That's what people get all messed up on. Well, if I don't stay bitter and offended, that means I'm okay with what they did. No, you're not. You're just refusing to become a double victim. If you were victimized, they said something about you, they wrote something about you, they harmed you in some way, that hurt. 
That was a violation. God did not want that to happen to you. People chose to violate God's ways and it impacted you negatively. The worst thing you could do is let it be a one-two punch by now responding in bitterness offense because what that does is it imprisons you to their initial act. It imprisons you to the thing they said or did to you the first time. And now they didn't just hurt you once. They're hurting your spirit by bringing you into an imprisonment of bitterness that you have the key to walk out of. And the key is to choose to forgive. It's important, guys. Like This isn't legalism. This is freedom. This is actually, do, do I want to be free in Jesus or do I want to be yet a number, an, another person in an innumerable number of Christians, people say they belong to Jesus, who live in perpetual bitterness and offense? I just refuse to do it. It doesn't mean it's always easy. I just refuse to come into agreement. My, when, when I am tempted to get offended and something happened recently, somebody just posted something nasty about me online and I'm, I'm sitting there for probably an hour, maybe, maybe two hours and this icky, icky, I'm just confessing my sin here, this icky instinct in me to retort, to reply, to comment to defend, to release the goods that I have on this other person. You know, that stuff started springing up in me. I said, there's a demon. There's a demon in the room. There is this demon tempting me to come into agreement with offense and anger and bitterness. And I, man, I talked it out with my wife and Amy, Amy just has such a grip on this kind of stuff. She can just be like, why do you care what that person says about you? I'm like, because it's not true. She's like, yeah, why do you care? Because uh, it's not true. She's like, yeah, but why do you care right now about this? You know, she kind of just kind of talks me through it. And then what I realize is this, this isn't me. I can't come into agreement with offense. And guess what? They got away with it. Okay, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, I'm happy right now. I don't know that they are, but I am. And I, I can look to heaven and say, God, thank you for delivering me from that temptation. And I'm able to forgive and I'm able to love. And I actually was able to pray for this person. And I'm like, and you know, this happens frequently. So I'm not, you, don't try to figure out who it is. You would have never seen this post more than likely. And if you did, you probably wouldn't have known it was about me. So <laughs> I knew it was about me because I knew the situation and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why do I care? I'm forgiven. Matter of fact, I know way worse things about myself that I've done, thought, or said in my lifetime than was even remotely approached by this person and what they posted about me. Well, you know, I, I'm not, it's not like I'm, I'm absolutely innocent in my life before God. I'm actually graced. I'm forgiven. I'm blessed. I'm justified. I am accepted by the blood of Jesus, not by my own goodness or what people might think about me. Now, that's my testimony. I don't know if you have something parallel with that, but I, the reason why I gave you mine is to show you how this plays out in real time. Because if I just start saying, I don't like that person, I'm not going to talk to that person. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a little face hook of my own. I'm going to post something. I just don't play that game anymore. That's just not who we are. Now, sometimes it's not somebody posting something about you. Sometimes it's somebody abusing you. Somebody stole from you. Somebody wrecked a part of your life. I am nowhere in this little podcast telling you, 
to do what I'm telling you to do is easy. I'm just telling you it's crucial as we approach the end of the age. Matter of fact, let me just leap off here. Hebrews 12, 15. We'll wind it up here. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Hello. So I am, you are, to see to it that we do not experience the full grace of God by allowing any root of bitterness to become a shoot of bitterness, which becomes a bud of bitterness, which becomes a blossom of bitterness. The root, you got to get it at the root. You got to nip it in the bud. You got to nip it at the root. It says if you don't take care, if you don't take initiative, this can happen in your life. And, it, you know, the Bible's so plain. Hebrews 12, 15 says that's going to cause you some trouble. Hebrews 12, 15 says if you allow bitterness and, you know, offense to root in your heart, it's going to cause you some trouble. And part of the trouble is described in the next phrase, and it doesn't really unpack it for us. It says you're going to be defiled. To be defiled means that you are ceremonially unclean. Now, we are New Testament people, and we're not, you know, we're not given to a whole lot of ceremony. But here's the the expression. There's something on you that distances you from God when you're defiled. Like, he doesn't turn a blind eye to my defilement if I choose it. He'll call me to deal with it. God, grace never winks at sin. Grace provides for the remedy to sin, but grace never empowers sin. So if I've made up my mind because I'm on the worship team, I can live with a little bitterness in my heart because I'm balancing it out by singing praises to God. If I'm preaching, then look, God's okay with the fact that I've got an ongoing offense in my heart. If I give sums of money, if I, you know, am a good husband or wife or, you know, a dutiful child, but I've got offense and bitterness in my heart, God says to some degree, you're living in a perpetual state of defilement. And I know you're not good with that. I know you wouldn't want to do that. But the choice comes down to, do I release the wrongdoer and entrust their care to the Lord? While I humble myself at the feet of the one who's forgiven me so much and I ask him, God, make me more like Jesus through this. Jesus let Judas kiss him. Jesus washed Judas's feet before the betrayal. Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus went to find him after the resurrection to restore him. I think that we have a lot of room to grow in this. And guys, I don't want to divorce it from where I started. It's signs at the end of the age that many are going to be offended. Matthew 24, 10. They're going to fall away. They're going to be offended. They're going to become bitter and angry. And they're going to betray Christ. You're going to betray the body of Christ, these people. And nobody wants that defilement on them. So what do we do? We don't let it become an ever-increasing problem. We find the root. We yank it up and we say, God, be merciful unto them like you've been merciful unto me. Heavy thoughts as usual in this season on Mavericks and Misfits. If you like cotton candy, go to the county fair. (laughs) If you like meat, 
Come back. We'll try to feed you again next time. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.